0: Oh, you're so brave. And I'm like, who are they describing? I don't feel brave, but I do feel fearless. I don't feel like I fear things, which is different. And I don't worry because I have this great saying that I heard from a Buddhist nun at a book reading at one point. <laughs> and she said, worrying is like praying for something you don't want. And any time I find myself starting to worry, if I can be aware of it, and I just say that, you stop worrying, because otherwise you are putting energy into making those
1: worries manifest. Hi, I'm Jess Rowe, and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. Claudia Carvan is an actor and producer of many of our most successful TV shows. You could say she has the golden touch. All of her productions have turned into hits. Now, her latest show, Season 4 of Bump, which she also happens to co-produce, co-create and star in, is now streaming on Stan. I've just finished the most recent episode... It's wonderful. It made me laugh and it made me cry. I have wanted to have Claudia on the podcast since we started. I've always been a little in awe of her. As well, I do have a bit of a girl crush on her. Why? Well, she has this knack of showing us who we are in all of our messy glory on the screen. Claudia Carvin. I'm having a bit of a pinch myself moment because I'm a massive fan of yours. Oh. And I have been for so long. (laughs) Have you? (laughs) Yes. And I feel like I've grown up with you. In my 20s, The Secret Life of Us. Then in my 30s, Love My Way. And now I'm in my 50s and I'm watching Bump. So I feel like... I know you and I want you to be my bestie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I get that a bit and I am your bestie is the truth. And they are parts of my life. I have had the privilege of, you know, embodying 20s and 30s and 40s. And now people are saying, are you working on a show for your 60s? And what are you going to say about women in their 60s? So it's great. It's a
1: great part of the job. Where does it come from though? Because I think you have this ability when you act, but also when you produce the sorts of shows that you do, there is a realness and there's also a rawness that we don't necessarily see Mm. in other drama. How can you do that?
0: Uh, I think it's, I mean, you know, obviously I'm part of a team. So when I do answer these questions, I am speaking uh, on behalf of the whole team. I'm I'm not taking credit for the whole show myself. So just, you know, that's my caveat on the conversation. But I think personally, my aesthetic and my values are that I, I don't appreciate artifice. I find it disconcerting. And I also think the human experience is such a privilege to be here and to communicate with people and connect with people that I don't really want any barriers. I I really want that um, accessibility, I guess. That's what I thrive on. So that's what I bring to projects
1: and, you know, then then it's a big collaborative effort. But where does that actually come from? Because a lot of us build up barriers in our lives because we want to protect ourselves. We want to put our best foot forward or have a particular image that we project. Whereas Mm. with you, it's the opposite.
0: It really is, isn't it? Here I am, haven't brushed my hair. I had a shower. I mean, I had a shower. I just didn't wash my hair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's explain to our listeners. You're here looking chic in a navy and white striped sort of French-inspired top. You've got your gorgeous cheekbones, your smile. I mean, you I mean, you, you are a natural beauty, Claudia. Uh, look, I think I grew up in the 80s in the
0: cross, and the 80s was all about artifice. It was fun and it was there was a lot of partying and a lot of my parents were, you know, it was in King's Cross, lots of fashion designers and lots of celebrities and artists and all that sort of stuff. So I guess my instinct is just to go behind that a bit from my childhood. And then also as an ambassador of Wayside Chapel, one of their values is there's strength in weakness. So I feel, ironically, I feel stronger when I'm vulnerable which is bizarre, sort of maybe a bit counterintuitive,
1: but it's sort of, do you know what I mean? I do. I don't think that is counterintuitive. I think when we are vulnerable, I think it is when we are most strong, because to me, it means we're unafraid of bearing our souls.
0: Yes. And it feels like there's nowhere else to go. You're at the place you want to be and you, there's nothing to be stripped back it's been stripped back so i feel more comfortable in that place yeah <laughs> how do you get to that place like,
1: <laughs> that's odd that it fascinates oh, me. oh really it, yes Oh, i don't know don't.
0: um i guess it's just the place you feel comfortable and calm and that's that's where i feel comfortable and calm i guess you just sort of follow your instincts
1: Do you think as well you mentioned there growing up in the 80s, you've had an unconventional childhood, your dad ran Arthur's, your mum was sort of very flamboyant. I mean, I haven't met your mum but I've seen pictures of her and she was so glamorous and essentially they'd be coming home just as you'd be heading off to school.
0: Well, not always. They get angry about that anecdote. Like, that, that <laughs> Do That happens once or twice. Yeah, look, I mean, they ran a nightclub and it was, yes, it was a late night place. Um, there was one instance where I was walking off to school with my backpack and I'd made my lunch and mum was literally coming up the footpath. It was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> very absolutely fabulous. We always joked that she was, she was the mum and absolutely fabulous and I was Safi, the daughter.
1: <laughs> Do you think that was the case, though, that, that you were a bit more of the parent, the responsible one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a bit of that. There was a bit of that. <laughs> that, I think, can be exhausting. You know, I think about when I grew up, I've got two younger sisters, and my mum's got bipolar disorder. Ah.
0: and So did my biological dad, yeah.
1: So a lot of my early memories was I was kind of caring for my mum and my sister. So I was sort of the parent. Did you feel that? Um I didn't
0: feel it consciously, but I do look back and it certainly was. I felt it on behalf of my brothers as well because my, my older brother has schizophrenia, my other brother has other things going on. So I did feel like I was a bit responsible for them. And then, yes, there was a lot of... um you know, unconventional lifestyle stuff that, yeah, you do want to sort of keep your eye on the ball a bit. (laughs) But I don't know if it was exhausting. Um, I think what you do learn is self-care, to use that sort of daggy, you know, term. But you do learn to look after yourself and make sure that you're not doing too much of that. How do you
1: do that? I'm still learning. Are you? You are not. No, 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 I am. (laughs)
0: Really? Why? When do you not (laughs) (laughs) self-care? What do you not do?
1: (laughs) Well, I still find myself as a 53-year-old caring for everyone else around me first. Yeah. And I do struggle still with putting myself first. Yeah. Well, that's your training from your childhood, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I guess you just got to be conscious about that, don't you?
1: But what about you? Because you see, you're turning it back on (laughs) me, Claudia.
0: (laughs) Look, I definitely do that. And then I get angry with myself and frustrated. And then, you know, then you just can move on and apologise. And,
1: you know, you can always change it up. Yeah, it's tricky though, isn't it? You mentioned your dad, your biological father, Peter. And I'm talking, I suppose, by sharing some of my story with my mum, who I adore and I'm very close to. But sometimes when people are not at their best, it can be really hard to like them. You don't stop loving them. Yes. But often their behaviour yeah. is difficult.
0: Mm. Yeah, that is that is an interesting thing that I often think about is what is the condition and what is, how do you differentiate between the condition and the person and that those lines do get a bit blurred sometimes. Yeah, you've just got to take a step back, don't you, every now and again and not answer a phone call or something. <laughs> it's hard though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But, you know, like, look at your life. You're blessed. I feel blessed. I The career I've had, the friends I've got, my own physical and mental health, my children's health and my relationship with them. I mean, there's just so, you just got to get into the gratitude flow, don't you? I think that's the term. It's just like, Get into the gratitude flow. And then it's like,
1: woo, life You're right, is great. Both. You're right. Do you think, I know with me, I've been very conscious with wanting to create an environment that perhaps I didn't have growing up. So I've in terms of the way I'm mother, my family, I've really tried to break patterns or habits.
0: Yes, yeah. Did you go to any of the Gloria Steinem events when she was in Australia? I didn't, but
1: she's, I interviewed her. Oh, did you? And ah. when I was doing Studio 10 and I literally, I'm really speechless. Oh, she's magnificent.
0: But when she sat there ah. and I was just like... She's my favourite feminist. Um, and she did say at one of the events I went to when she launched her book, she said it takes seven generations to heal an act of violence. Not that I, not that that's um, something that I can relate to, but in terms of uh, you know dysfunction or whatever, and I and you do feel like you've got to really turn things around. You want to do it quicker than seven generations, that's for sure.
1: Yes, because you want to experience it now. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, yeah. So you do have to
1: really, yeah, set your sights on it. And in terms of how you've been able to do that, I've heard you say that now you're in your fifties it really is your time. You feel the Mm. happiest you've been.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, yeah, it's a little bit like getting dessert, definitely. (laughs) It's so good. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I just went to Japan with my kids for three weeks and my son is so gorgeous and it was great because he's 17, but sometimes I was like, oh, this is great, Alps. Can you feel this? You're the parent right now and I'm the child. Is this good? I'm loving this. And he's like, yeah, this is great, Mom. <laughs> you can actually sort of take your hands off the wheel for a bit.
1: <laughs> well, and yes, and sort of exhale mm. and think, look at what I've done. Look at how I've managed this. Yeah, it's, it's pretty special. With your family, is there anything that's off limits in terms of what you then will put in your drama? Because I'd also read about your daughter, Audrey, basically going, oh, this is going to end up in bump or this, <laughs> I'm going to hear my words on the screen. I know.
0: A lot of my friends do that too. They'll, they'll start, you know, venting about something or telling me a funny story and, and they'll go, you can't put this in bump, by the way. <laughs> 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 or I'll be saying, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be telling me a story. I was like, can I put this in bump? They're like, yeah, sure. that's great. <laughs> so, no, I'm pretty transparent about it. And look, it goes through so many different filters. And as I said, it's a collaboration. So, Kelsey Munro's stories are in there too and Nick Coyle and all of the writers, we all bring our own personal stories and then it goes into a bit of a creative blender and it sort of comes out the other end, pretty unrecognisable. So, no, nothing is
1: off limits. Uh (laughs) And what I noticed, I suppose, sitting here chatting with you is you're a good listener and the sense of you just let it all go in and you don't reveal a lot <laughs> about yourself. Don't, I feel like I've revealed a lot about myself. And <laughs> well, I, a bit, but it's still, you're very good at just sort of sitting <laughs> there almost like a beautiful, elegant sort of sphinx. <laughs> I do like the sphinx pose. I am a
0: yogi. Ah. I actually like going from sphinx up to seal. Oh, that's a good Yin (laughs) pose. Do you like a bit of Yin
1: yoga? (laughs) Well, I'm more. I get a bit restless. Do you? I get restless. I find it very hard to still my brain. Oh, but you don't. You don't still your brain. Really? No. You don't need to still
0: your brain. Your brain is gonna keep going, but you just let it go, and you just go. Okay, that
1: thought's gone now. You don't try and still it. That's fine. So you can move from sphinx to seal while you're coming up with all sorts of plot I'm, ideas in your mind. And- absolutely. And then you don't beat yourself up for, oh, my God, my
0: brain's not still. It's like, this is great. I'm having creative ideas. And then eventually it sort of calms down and shuts up. But you don't have to worry about it. Sometimes it
1: doesn't shut up. Sometimes it just keeps going on. <laughs> and in terms of... You know, from the outside, Claudia, people look at you. I mean, I look at you and think, wow, what an extraordinary woman. What you've achieved, the stories that you share that connect all of us. You sort of have tapped, I think, into almost the the female zeitgeist with how we are making our way through the world. But what about behind that with moments when you might be full of doubt or be thinking, oh, I don't know if this is going to work or I'm frightened about doing this. Do you have those moments? It is a strange
0: thing that started happening in the last few years where close girlfriends will say, oh, you're so brave. And I'm like, who are they describing? What, who are they talking about? And I don't feel brave, but, and this is a f- slight distinction, I do feel fearless. I don't feel like I fear things. Which is different. And I don't worry because I have this great saying that I heard from a Buddhist nun at a book reading at one point. <laughs> and she said, worrying is like praying for something you don't want. And any time I find myself starting to worry, if I can be aware of it and I just say that, you stop worrying because otherwise you are putting energy into making those worries you know, manifest, essentially. So I listen to my dreams. I really love my... Do you remember your dreams? I do.
1: But sometimes when I have sex dreams, I wake (laughs) up and go... What was that?
0: <laughs> Probably nothing to do with your sex life.
1: Well, no. <laughs> It'll I be can... something else, I'm sure. <laughs> I can tell you it has nothing to do with my sex life because I'll wake up and go, what was that? And then if I run into the person, I blush because oh, I'm like, no. no, I'm not even attracted to you. That's
0: hilarious. Yeah, I've <laughs> had dreams like that too. They are just, they are quite Disturbing, aren't they? <laughs>
1: yes. So then which dreams do you listen to or take note of?
0: Oh, well, pretty much all of them when they pop up. Like, for instance, Bump 4 was launched on Boxing Day. And the night before, I woke up that morning and I was like, why was I walking around the streets naked? And then and then I was like, oh, no, I'm naked and I'm in a dream. Oh, someone any moment is going to see me naked. And so I rolled myself in sand. Like, that's great. I'm covered in sand. Now I don't look naked. And then I woke up. I was like, why was I having that dream? And it's like, oh, it's because bump's being released today. So yes, you feel a level of exposure and but it's not something that sort of deeply affects the way I go out and about in the world. But it's there, yeah. And just keep it
1: at a low level. And let's talk more about being fearless. That concept, I think, is really powerful, that difference between being brave but being fearless. Is that something that's always been a part of your makeup or have you embraced that as you've gotten older?
0: Yeah, good question. No, I think it's something I've probably embraced as I've got older. And I think a part of it is, I, I, have you read the Tibetan book of Living and Dying?
1: I have. You have.
0: I don't think I read the whole book, but I read a bit of it when I was 21. And there is a passage that says, visualise your death every day. Do you remember that? Did that jump out at you? Well,
1: I think <laughs> I might have gone, I don't want to visualize my death. <laughs> and so perhaps they like closed it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, for Too me, March, uh, when oh.
0: you're
1: in your 20s. Oh, no, that was a game changer ah. for me. I was like,
0: what a brilliant idea. Not in a morbid way, but just reflect and visualize, okay? And I pretty much have done that, I think, since I was about 21. Every day
1: you do uh, that?
0: Probably, maybe, maybe more often. It does contextualise things, and I think that's where possibly some of the fearlessness comes from because you think,
1: well, I could be dead tomorrow, so really, does this matter? So when you say you visualise your death, do you actually visualise this is what could happen to me or if I died today, this is it?
0: (laughs) This is going to get pretty intense. (laughs) I'm not sure if I need to reveal... It, it. I can get quite specific like if I'm on a plane or something. I can really just lean in and go, "Okay, the worst is happening right now and and then you just Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird um it's a weird thing to do, but I do do it.
1: Quite but a lot. clearly it's been <laughs> successful for you.
0: I think it works for me. Yeah. It doesn't wouldn't necessarily work for everyone. It does work for me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I love this though. What else works for you? Cuz I'd be too terrified to do that. I'm I like to be more sunny. (laughs) I feel very sunny. I feel very sunny. Don't you think I'm sunny? I do, but I think (laughs) you say, like, laughing at me. (laughs) But it's also, I mean, I think it is quite grim to think about each day what if I died today? Do you think so? Uh, yeah, I
0: don't. I think it. Well, I think the intention, if you into Buddhist philosophy, which I don't study and I don't know a lot about it, but I think the intention is to set you free, and the intention is to make you feel lighter. So I don't think it is grim, and it's certainly not morbid, and it's not—it's not indulgent. You're not sort of imagining no. how people are going to feel
1: <laughs> at your funeral. or, or What are they going to say songs about me? Will be sung. No, no you don't look at—you don't do that. Um. <laughs> ah, well, actually, perhaps a way of reconfiguring it. There was a lovely book about the lessons on dying. Was it Mitch Alb? the he was a sports writer Tuesdays with Morrie that was what it was called oh I read that someone gave me that book yes that was great yes and the bit that I got from that and perhaps this is a slightly different version of what you're saying was imagine that there's a little bird on your shoulder and the bird is saying to you what if today's the day
0: Oh, okay, I don't remember that. So, that sort of, oh, so you've you've got
1: the same message then. Yeah, so listening. But I'm thinking of a bird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, a you're Texas getting to the same colors, place.
1: Galar or something <laughs> on my
0: shoulder. <laughs> what if today was the day? I yes. think that's beautiful. Yeah. See, that's not grim. No. That's wonderful. Yeah. And it makes you cherish every moment of that day and feel grateful for
1: it. Yeah, and be fearless yes. in how you live your life. Yeah. What... I think, probably makes you an incredible storyteller is you use a lot of, I suppose, what's happened in your life to inform the way you tell your stories.
0: Yeah, I think that's what we owe our audience as storytellers, that it has to be authentic. So that's the only way I know how to do that. I mean, obviously, it's a business. The industry we're in is a business. So it's a balance. But I really do feel like taking things from real life just anchors the storytelling. Yeah, you want to make sure the stories you're telling are life-affirming, is my ambition anyway, while also being a little bit challenging and, and raw and sharing your values, the values of the team that you're working with. It's sort of like truth is stranger than fiction. In fact, often in the room, in all the writers' rooms I've been in, someone will share a story and... It's often so absurd. You go, well, that's actually not going to work on television because it doesn't, it doesn't make narrative sense, even though it happened. So not all the stories work for television. Sometimes you just have to take little bits of them and then put them through a sort of story machine and make them palatable for human beings. <laughs> you know, give it a beginning, a middle and an end and then they go, well, what are we
1: saying with this? Why are we telling this story? Because with Bump, you... Co-create, co-produce, and you're in it, you star in it. How can you wear all those different hats? Well, I started doing that
0: 20 years ago, Love My Way. I was also a co-creator, co-producer, and was in the show a lot more than I am in Bump, Um, so there was much more time on set. And I loved Love My Way. Yeah, amazing writers, Jacqueline Persky, Tony McNamara, who's gone on to do The Favourite and The Great. We did Doctor Doctor together as well. He's a master. He's extraordinary. And Lou Fox and Brendan Cowell. It was an amazing team, Fiona Series. Look, there was a lot more anxiety then when I first stepped out and did it. Uh, A lot more self-doubt, fear, um, stress, I guess, but then when it worked and it was embraced, um, then I guess I just started calming down a bit. And uh, look, they sound like they're different hats, but actually they cross over a lot. So I think what people don't realise is you don't really have to then do your homework as an actor. If you've been in the story room and you're producing it and you're in the edit, the role as the actor becomes far simpler and far more straightforward. You've got volumes of conversations and Obstacles and motivations and objectives all there just to pick when you arrive on set. and even when I go on to other people's productions, a script is a very it's bare bones you know it's it's whittled down to a couple of lines on a you know of dialogue on a page and a bit of big print, and you don't have access to the years of conversations that have happened before that scene was devised. the backstory the backstory so, to speak. so it actually is probably easier having all those hats. Yeah. And it's also easier because it's so incredibly gratifying. It's so creatively gratifying. It's easier because it's
1: such a pleasure. (laughs) As a sort of 20-something actor, could you have imagined being in this role that you are now? Not
0: at all. Not at all. No. As an actor in my 20s, unfortunately, I mean, it was a different industry then as well, but um, I sort of felt like, oh, this is my peak, um, which is terrible, terrible way to be thinking. And I also did not know what a producer did. I had no aspirations to be a producer. I didn't have any understanding of what that role entailed. I didn't know how creative it could be. So I definitely didn't have that in my sights. So no which is a shame. It would be great to go back and say to her, hey, it's going to be fine. <laughs>
1: Don't you wish we could do that too? I mean, I wish too I look back at my younger self and think, oh, I should have been gentler on myself. You know, you really, I think in your 20s, it's a, I wouldn't want to go back there. I wouldn't want to be a teenager again. No, that's why we have got to be
0: very kind to teenagers and people in their 20s. It, it's not easy, even though they... They think it's easy. It's they're navigating a lot, and there's so much still that's unknown. I think what's so great about being in your fifties is so much is known, and so much is behind you, and you can really chill out, so, and enjoy it. So,
1: are you chilling out though? Mm, yeah, totally. And how do you chill out apart from creating award-winning shows in their fourth series and waiting for series five because it, I'm not going to spoil any endings, but it's like what's going to happen to that person and that person? And <laughs> yeah, it's very
0: exciting. Um, how do I chill out? I, I have a lot of very close girlfriends. I spend a lot of time with friends. Um, I do a lot of yoga. Dancing. I love dancing. Love dance hall. Love Afro, and I spend a lot of time in, you know, in the bush or down the coast reading. I'm reading, do you know Rachel Cusk? No. Have you heard of Rachel Cusk? Tell me about <sighs> her. Oh, my God, I love Rachel Cusk. I'm reading my fourth Rachel Cusk book now. She's she's brilliant. Uh, I recommend starting with a trilogy, which is called Outline, the first one, and then Transit. And then I've just, I'm just in the third at the moment, reading and, and sitting in my garden. I've got a garden now, which is very little, little inner city garden, but it gives me so much joy. Uh, I've got herbs and a little aspelia lemon tree that I'm training against the wall and all these lizards have arrived since I've planted all these new plants and a huge stick insect. Arrived. I don't even know how did I get there. There's frogs. I can hear frogs. I and I'm love in the froggies. real inner city, like really inner city. I can hear frogs in my garden. So I sit in my garden a lot and just look at the. I've got a beautiful. Um, do you know a golden rabbina tree? Do you know those trees? It's a deciduous tree, so it changes a lot, and the leaves are like really bright limey green and they're very light, so they flutter. It's just (laughs) mesmerising to look at. So I sit in my garden and look at the leaves on the golden rubina tree and it's beautiful.
1: But what about love? Is love in your life? Love is in my life. Love is totally in my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about the love. Tell us. No, no, I'm not going to talk about
1: it, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're happy? I'm very happy. Yeah. (laughs) That makes me feel lighter for you because I think we all need that, don't we? We do. It's interesting, though, because when you don't have it
0: and you have to get by without it, which a lot of us do, and it doesn't necessarily mean but in the future I won't have it again, you have to get through. So, and you do tell yourself that it's all good, it's fine without it and you can survive because there are a lot of people who, who you know, it's, it's, it's elusive, but yeah, it is wonderful to have it, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I think as well, I mean, the counter to that is loneliness and often we can feel lonely even when we're surrounded by people.
0: Totally agree, yeah. I could almost say I don't think I've ever felt lonely when I'm by myself. I really enjoy my own company, but definitely have felt lonely with groups of people or with one individual or,
1: uh, yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a tricky one. It is. I read somewhere with when you went to Hollywood, you had said that it was like you had a bit of an existential crisis that you felt lonely in this place. That's Yes, I
0: did, yeah. Yeah, I can't quite explain that because I've, um, I mean, I've stayed with friends who live in LA and had a great time since then um, and I think it was because they were involved in the music industry and it wasn't just all about my industry and I think that's what made it feel very sort of bare bones and, and also, I don't know, I'm not a mystical person but maybe it's just literally the latitude and longitude, something about the topography. I don't know, but it, it, yeah, it's just, it didn't work for me.
1: (laughs) Well, we had beautiful Rebecca Gibney on the podcast recently, and she felt very much the same about Hollywood, that it was just, she kind of arrived and looked at all these posters and pictures of, of other actors and thought, nah, this isn't for me. And I wonder, though, how you feel, say, when you see other Aussie actors, like Sarah Snook, who you've performed with, you know, getting all these accolades and things. How do you feel when you see sort of that success?
0: Oh, I feel very happy for them, very happy. I mean, most of my peers went overseas, Kate Blanchett and Rachel Griffiths and Jacqueline McKenna, like a majority of them, Rose Byrne, who's a bit younger than me, but... Simon Baker, who's a very close friend, he, everyone, pretty much left. (laughs) And I was incredibly grateful that I didn't have to do that. I mean, I don't think Simon Baker would mind me saying so, but when he left, he couldn't get an audition in Australia. They wouldn't audition him. So he had to go. Um, He now lives back home in Sydney. So sometimes it's out of necessity And I didn't have to do that. I I was always able to make a living in my own town, um, which I feel extremely lucky. And, you know, and I had a stepdaughter from a very young age. So that, you know, that was very important to keep those two families together. So
1: I I feel, yeah, feel thrilled for them. I mean, I'm thrilled too, because if you didn't, we wouldn't have these amazing stories that (laughs) you've shared with us. Someone else would have done it. (laughs) Love My Way, Bump and all these other amazing things that you do.
0: Yeah, and look, I don't think I would have
1: had that opportunity in
0: a different country either. I don't think those opportunities would have have been available to me in America because it's not my country, it's not my accent, it's not my culture. Uh, So, yeah, I feel very grateful that um, i got those opportunities here. And that's thanks to John Edwards who was one of the producers of uh, Secret Life of Us alongside the amazing Amanda Higgs. And he was the one who, um, after I directed a block of Secret Life of Us, he sort of recognised, well, as he said to me, which was really bizarre, I was about 30 years old, and he said, Claudia, you have um, statesman-like qualities. You're a leader. I'm like, oh, really? Am I? Whatever. Whatever you reckon, John. (laughs) Well, okay, yeah, well, I'll do that. <laughs> but he recognised that quality in me that I still don't really see and he gave me the opportunity to run with it and gave me a lot of freedom,
1: which is very unusual. Because I've heard him say that, I mean, he says you're one of, well, the most successful producer in Australia and for him to give you that opportunity to direct at the age of 30 is huge. I mean, I I couldn't direct anyone to save myself. I find it hard to organise myself getting out the front door. What is it that you think you have that makes you good in that role?
0: I think I get out of my own way. I think I make sure it's not about me is probably the essence of it. And also, I've been on film sets since I was 10 years old. So I am part of the crew. You know, I understand how a crew works. It's, a, it's an ecosystem. I understand how to talk to a DOP, how to talk to art department, writers. So I feel like I'm good at connecting and listening and hearing what people have to say and, and
1: I don't make it about myself. And I think that actually sums up, I mean, when you talk in that way, you don't talk a lot about yourself. do you I? Sort- no, in the sense of it's for you to share, you kind of deflect in a way. So you share little bits, but I wonder if that too is you thinking, I'm not making this about myself.
0: Yeah, possibly, because I think, yeah, we are part of a bigger picture, aren't we? It's not about ourselves. And, um, and when, I, when it becomes about, it sort of gets in the way. Mm. I mean I guess it makes it a lot harder too like for instance I went back to I did theatre this year uh, last year and I hadn't been on stage for 25 years and 25 years ago I definitely made it all about me And I didn't do a good job, and I was, I had a lot of stage fright. And then I was towards the end of the run, I was very bored. (laughs) Like it was all about my journey and my experience. When I went back to it last year, it's not about me being on stage. This is about the writer. This is about Mitchell Boutel's direction. This is about my co stars. This is about the audience. And then it becomes a really pleasurable experience because you are serving other things. I did my job as well as I could and I enjoyed it. But majority for me, it was about Edward Albee and his writing. I have such a huge amount of respect for him and I love that play, The Goat, or Who is Sylvia? Fantastic play.
1: And also, this is a way of you also being fearless to do something that, as you say, you hadn't been on stage for 25 years. Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> and because you can't hide. There's nowhere to hide, is there? No, no. And I, and
0: it was, um, I guess, what's that saying? The greatest fear is fear itself or however it goes. But even when I was rehearsing it, I was wondering, oh, is there going to be a point where it's going to overwhelm me? Yeah, but there was a little bit of mystery about how it was all gonna go. Um, I didn't feel hundred percent confident. One actor said backstage that in um someone's autobiography they said that they peek out at the audience and say, I hate you, I hate you, or something like that, or something really negative, and this actor was the same, they're like, Oh, I hate those people. And I definitely, I was like, that's strange. I (laughs) I definitely feel the opposite. I was like, I love you guys and I am so love the fact you're here and that you want to see this play and that you're interested in theatre and you want to have a collective human experience and I'm going to listen to your response and I'm going to give something to you and it's going to be a conversation. And I think that was why I didn't get, you know, stage fright on because it, it wasn't a, a moment of conflict or there wasn't any sort of anger there
1: or it was, this is like, this is great. And you were in the moment mm. and you were connected. And I think with live theatre, it's such a connection, I would imagine, between you and the audience and you're never going to get that back again. And that's really quite, I think, almost sacred, I think. Yes, you want
0: to be experiencing that moment. You don't want it to be passing you by because you're distracted by all these other thoughts or overwhelming, you know, anxiety or whatever. Listen to a great podcast recently about, um. it's some term called inter, inter, no, it's inter, oh, I can't remember how even how to pronounce it, but it, it's a training. It's about tuning into your sixth sense. And some of the tests they do is you have to sit there, you can't touch your pulse or touch your neck or anything and you try and, hear your heartbeat, and then there's other ones where they play you a beat and you have to say whether your heart is in sync with the beat or is it out of sync, and a lot of people can't do it. And then the extrapolation from that was that's where a lot of the panic attacks are coming from. Like, do you know that a lot of the time you hear an ambulance going by, they are going to deal with someone who's having a panic attack to tell them they're not having a heart attack? Really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So... The explanation in this podcast was if you're in tune and you can feel the anxiety rising, then you can deal with it before it becomes like a
1: bushfire and it's out of control. So that was really interesting. I love that. Mm. It's almost a bit, I love the moment, a number of moments in the most recent series of Bump where your character holds hands with the rest of the family and what is it that you say... It's to, to calm the moment. I love it. The glimmers. Yes. Yes. Can you share that with our listeners? Yes. I just love it.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, that's got a great backstory, actually. So I was invited by Climate Council and Groundswell to do this sort of four day course in environmentalism and um, what we can all do about it. And I sort of didn't want to go because I was like, I, you can't tell me anything. I read all about it. But I went. And what I took, my takeaway was the most important thing we can do is talk about it. And the most important thing we can do is stay hopeful. And so then I started reading a lot of articles because we wanted to put a lot of the stories into Bump. Kelsey Munro and I decided we want to make a lot of the storylines, you know, have some um, environmental angles without being didactic or without being – it was a tricky tone to set. But when I was reading a lot of articles, there was this great article, I think it might have been in The Guardian, which was about glimmers. And finding those extraordinary stories of hope and just telling them to yourself. And so we wrote that in to the scripts.
1: And I think that's what you do so beautifully is that you share our stories with us and also give us hope and humour and rawness within it. So thank you, Claudia, for, for doing that. <laughs> You're just amazing.
0: Thank you. Yeah, a lot of people call that, um, they say, oh, bump, it's so wholesome. And I'm like, I really struggled with that. I was like, how is it wholesome? Like some of the stuff some of the places we go to are quite confronting. Like we don't it's quite unflinching, some of the emotional territory and the subjects we um deal with. But I think maybe it's because a lot of the other shows that you might compare Bump to, there is there's a lot of violence or there's a lot of people behaving, you know, incredibly badly, which is what generates drama. So yeah, we do make a conscious effort to to try to not do that, just offer something different, really.
1: I love it. And thank you for doing that through my kind of 20s and 30s (laughs) and now 50s.
0: And look, hopefully 60s and 70s. Yes. Bring it on. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been really lovely.
1: How about that? I want to go home and look up how you do a sphinx stretch going into a seal. (laughs) But there is so much I think we can take away from that chat. And I love as well that idea that Claudia had about worry. Something that she read that a Buddhist nun had said that worrying is essentially the idea of praying for something that you don't even want. I think that is a goodie and I think that is something that I know I wanna share with my daughters. Now, you do wanna check out the latest season of Bump. Now, season four, it is streaming now only on Stan. I love it. There is so much in there for you. It is funny. It is heartwarming. It makes you think. It really is something beautiful. We also have so many exciting guests coming up for you on the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show podcast and Please subscribe to the show. It would mean so much to me. And of course, spread the word. Now, why subscribe? It is free and it means all of these great conversations will be quicker for you to access in the app and you will never ever miss an episode and a really great conversation. And for me, it also means I get to see that you're enjoying the show and also I learn about you, my beautiful audience, because I want to make sure that the guests we're having, the conversations that we are having are resonating with you. So subscribe, send us some DMs, hop on board the Insta. I really want to hear from you. And if there's someone in your life that loves Claudia Carvin or is curious to get to know her better, why not share this conversation with them by simply tapping the three dots on your screen and you'll get some big brownie points for that from me as well as some caramel slice points because I must say I prefer a caramel slice over a brownie any day. And if you love this episode with Claudia, I reckon you will love my chat with Brian Brown and we'll put a link in the show notes for you. Oh my God. This isn't a physical problem. This could be a mental problem. And then I said to my GP, I want to talk to a psychologist. And I did, and we got to the bottom of it. And uh, so now, if something like that happens, and it hardly happens, but if it does, I go, oh, it's you again, is it? Okay, well, you know, do your bit and then wander off home, will you, because I've got things to do. Yeah, I'd always say, look, go and talk to someone. They can only help you. It's not a shameful thing. It's like, I think you're a bit of a deal if you don't. Go and do it. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show is hosted by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. She's a wonderful leopard lady. Audio imager, Nat Marshall. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter.